you can move the pop filter a little bit closer so that closer you can to me? like this not closer to the, oh, the mic. To the mic what the fuck yeah because the distance between you and the pop filter and then you and oh. the and then the pop filter and the mic oh, is geez. probably why you were so quiet so am i louder now i don't know uh do i look louder now yeah i kind of i think my yeah you you look louder now oh okay so it's been my fault this whole time no, nah, it's what been uh, the the mic placement. What else is new? It's, I, I'm, Look, it's, it's I your am fault for like placement. knocking around the the pop filter and just like having it fall Breaking off several it every times. Time? <laughs> yep. What am I going to be known for on this podcast? Breaking the pop filter. Breaking the freaking pop filter. No, nah, I think you're going to be known for the drunk episode. Oh my god! In like no, I really two weeks. I can't wait for you guys to listen in on our drunk podcast episode that Jason doesn't want to edit because he thinks it's too cringy. I really want to re-record it because it's going to be so hard to edit because we were drunk and slurring our words together. So there's no hard stop between words. So there's nowhere where I can like just cut it off and then just uh, cut and copy. Hey, what's up? A 40 minute episode coming at you. No, it's only 37. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Hello, everyone. And welcome back to Fast Pass, the history podcast in close to 30 minutes or less. Thank you again for tuning in. As always, I'm Jason. And... I'm Megan. And Jason, you've told me almost nothing about today's episode, except for its name. What's going on? Well, uh, <laughs> first and foremost, I, <laughs> I literally just want to say that this is a uh, nostalgia trip for me. And it came from one of my favorite periods in history, the Three Kingdoms era in China. And we're talking about the most famous battle, or possibly the most famous battle in the entire era, the Battle of Red Cliffs. So I knew a lot about this topic uh, the Three Kingdoms era, the Battle of Redcliffe, whatever, from because a game called, it. well, that too, <laughs> but from a game called Dynasty Warriors. And after playing it so many times and going down the nostalgia trip, I decided to do some research on the Battle of Cherby, or as we know it, the Battle of Red Cliffs. Dun, dun. A lot of the writings of this time period were either lost or destroyed, but what could be salvaged was taken and used to tell a romanticized version of the events that happened. Uh, the book that I'm talking about all of this coming from is The Romance of the Three Kingdoms, written by Lu Guanzhong. It is because of Romance of the Three Kingdoms that many of its generals have become heroes and legends today. Pretty freaking cool that a video game has some historical accuracy to it. Oh, Heck yeah. yeah, fast pass approved. Stamp. Yeah. So Romance of the Three Kingdoms is pretty much a romanticized version of Records of the Three Kingdoms, which is a uh, collection of biographies that were all found and put together by a historian by a historian named Chen Shou. There were three sides of the war. They were the Wei Kingdom to the north, and I'm going to refer to them by the north for pretty much the rest of the episode. Uh, and they were ruled by Cao Cao. Shu was the kingdom to the west. I'm going to refer to them as the west, led by Liu Bei. And Wu, who was at this time led by Sun Xuan, who occupied the uh, east. So the north is Wei. The west is Shu, and the east is Wu. That's easy to, that's easy to remember. Yeah. I'm just going to hope that I don't pronounce any of those names wrong, or any of the ones coming up, because there's a lot of names, and uh, I really don't want to screw these up. You know, uh, we haven't screwed up any single name <laughs> in our podcast history, so, like, we have a great, great track record. Yeah. We're, we're like, perfect. <laughs> we are... <laughs> Seven for seven right now. <laughs> Working on eight for eight because this is our technically our eighth episode from the Woodstock yeah, special. Yeah, Woodstock special. Yeah. Woo. Eight episodes of accurate pronunciations. Oh, yeah. Gotta love it. 
the Battle of Red Cliffs was a very strategic and decisive battle in the war. It brought two of the weaker sides together in order to beat back the largest, most dangerous side. Yeah, which one was the largest and most dangerous side? Uh, the Kingdom of Wei, the North, held the most power at the time. Uh, Cao Cao knew how to rule and work himself into profitable political positions. Hmm, sounds familiar, <laughs> Rasputin. Uh, he held the capital of Luoyang and had control over the emperor who he used to his advantage because anyone who, who went against the will of the emperor was going against the will of heaven. Cao Cao abused this so much, which is how he got so many people to join his army. This sounds like a mixture of our friends Rasputin and uh, Trujillo. Just a smidge. Interesting. So Wu, the East, was in a bit of a rough patch. Their leader, their leader Sun Xuan, was the third leader of the Wu kingdom. First was Sun Jian, the alleged descendant of Sun Tzu, the guy who wrote The Art of War. Hey! Yeah. Uh, well, not yeah, because uh, Sun Jian passed away, and that left the older brother of the three siblings... Sun Tzu, to take over and lead. However, uh, he too died, and after doing my research, I found his death to be shrouded in mystery. Dun dun dun! Uh, some sources say he was killed by assassins sent from an adversary he had bested in battle but had not killed. Another source says he died in his bed after seeing himself <laughs> as the reflection of a sorcerer he had executed. Yeah, that's like basically saying you wake up, you look so ugly that you just... You just... <laughs> kind of, yeah. Kind of messed up. <laughs> Anyways, after his father and brother died, that left Sun Xuan in charge of the kingdom of Wu. The he north. led yeah, uh, the east. Oh my god. Wu sure. is the east. Wei <laughs> is the north. Shu is the west. Right. East was Wu. Woo! So he led the kingdom with his sister, Sun Shang Shang, who was his last surviving immediate family member. Hey, look at that. We finally have a woman. He, yeah, she has no political power. Uh, she was just there. Great. <laughs> Love um, that. Lastly, but no less importantly, is Liu Bei, the king of Shu. He's portrayed as a benevolent man who only wanted to help the people and was seen as sage-like and the epitome of Confucianism. Which, as we know now, was not all it's cracked up to be. Nothing's ever as it's cracked up to be. Not wrong, but Confucianism hated theater. So he had garnered support because he was kind to the people. And Shu, the West, had been going through it Same. and had moved consistently from places to other places to other places until they finally settled in the west after Liu Bei had claimed his cousin Liu Bao's head and hey. uh, territory. Watch out, cousins. Nick, we coming for to you. you. <laughs> yeah, watch your back. <laughs> so Liu Bei was sworn brothers with these two guys, Zhang Fei and Wan Yu. Zhang Fei was a known drunk, but also an extremely fierce warrior. And uh, Wan Yu, on the other hand, is unmatched in battle and garnered the title God of War. Because of all of his exploits in battle, he would later become a god himself and had his name changed to Guandi in the history books. And he was seen as a religious figure in China for many generations and even today. Guandi? Gandhi? Coincidence? I think not. I think so because gandhi was bald and had very little facial hair if any at all and he was a misogynist that too um but guan yu was known for has for his magnificent beard so the difference for, for is... fighting people and having a great beard <laughs> um so now that the players are introduced let's get to the situation leading up to it yeah war so cao cao from the north was on a tear through china and he defeated his formal rival former rival yuan shao 
who was not part of any of these three kingdoms. Gotcha. And after Yuan Shao's death, his children began infighting for their father's territory, but they were no match for Cao Cao's massive following. Uh, he had defeated them with ease, and he would occasionally scrap with Liu Bei from the west often enough. But at this point, Liu Bei was just a thorn in his side, and uh, Sun Xuan, on the other hand, just finished garnering complete control of the lands he was based in in the east. Uh, he had firmly planted himself and was going to become a problem for Wei, but Wu was still recovering and had to let Cao Cao take control of more land because of all the losses and having to re reallocate their troops. See, the problem with a three-sided war was you had one enemy on either side, which is what was going on. So should you lead a campaign to the north, you'd be vulnerable to the east and vice versa. I can only see where this is going. Oh yeah, here. it's a full-on shit show. It's oh, great. Oh god. So it was in the year 208 CE that Cao Cao would falter and face what one historian considered, quote, the battle that decided the question of China's unity or division, end quote. Uh, so Cao Cao was stomping his way through China and came into control of what is considered the Middle Kingdom. He'd just taken control of the province of Jing, and he had taken control of a naval outpost at the crossing of the Yangtze River and the Han River. It was a strategic place that allowed the expansion of his naval capabilities. Now this part seems somehow familiar to me. I've never heard of Redcliffe before, but this section about the Middle Kingdom and these two rivers, very familiar. Maybe I was born in 208 CE as well. Mm. Perchance, mayhaps. <laughs> Perchance. <laughs> <laughs> before the date of the battle, Cao Cao had sent out a missive to Sun Xuan uh, of the East, asking him just, dude, just straight up surrender, because the North has a, a force of 800,000 strong, and any resistance is just going to be crushed. A missive? Uh, an envoy. An envoy? A diplomatic group of people to be like, hey, listen to me or die. Oh. Essentially. <laughs> oh, okay, not what I was thinking about. Yeah, all. diplomats, politics. Yeah, Yay. it's like current politics, listen or die. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was right, honestly. Uh, the North would easily crush the East should they go toe-to-toe, one-on-one. And Wu would be crushed, but there was a man from the West, the strategist of the West, named Zhuge Liang. And Zhuge Liang is a man who's been glorified as a master strategist who is beyond excellent. And he's quite possibly the smartest guy around. Hey, me too. What's up? So Zhuge Liang shows up like a day or so after uh, Sun Xuan gets this message, and he just wants to talk. So Zhuge Liang sits down with Sun Xuan, a bunch of his generals, and his own strategist, Zhou Yu. Zhuge Liang talks, and he manages to convince them to join Shu and fight back against the North. Join the West, fight the North. Yeah. Mm. To prevent Cao Cao from strong-arming his way to being emperor, which everyone believed he wanted to be. Mm. Record states, although it might be a bit dramatized from the Romance of the Three Kingdoms, Sun Quan was so compelled to fight that when his generals tried to dissuade him, he took his sword and cut the corner off of his table and pointed at them, saying something along the lines of, if you dare bring up surrendering again, I will do to you what I did to this table. What, cut off a corner? What corner of a person? What, what would that be? You don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> so in preparation for the battle, there have been a lot of ploys, counterploys, strategies, plans, and they were either foiled or successful or, or both. At the same time? Oh, yeah. Same time. <laughs> what? Yeah, there's, there's some weird... There's some weird shit going on. Great. Essentially, it's just a large game of cat and mouse, but everyone's the cat and everyone's the mouse. 
That makes it confusing. Exactly. So Zhou Yu of the East wasn't a big fan of Zhuge Liang to the West. And on multiple occasions tried to back him into a corner, outsmart him, prove that he's like the top dog. Or literally just outright try to get him killed in a way that wouldn't break the alliance. So he wants him to get assassinated in a way that's not um, suspicious. It's not traceable back to him. So don't take any cues from any of the assassins that we talked about in the first month. Except the CIA. We're still looking for you about JFK's death. We know where you is. We just don't have the information that we need. (laughs) Those redacted things will eventually become unredacted, though. So we can hope. (laughs) So even though they, the East and the West had a... An alliance, it wasn't exactly an easy one. Although the leader of the West, Liu Bei, falling in love with Sun Xuan's sister, kind of helped. They did end up getting married. It was oh, it was really sweet. That's like a, it's like a star-crossed lovers kind of situation, like yeah. Romeo and Juliet. We're on opposite sides of the war, but I still love you. She ended up moving in with him. So when things got weird later on, with the three kingdoms fighting battle, whatever. It was a little tense at home. <laughs> it was like rape and pillage everyone but my sister's house, please. No, nah, no raping. Just just pillaging. It was fine. Just pillaging? Yeah. Pillage everyone's house but my sister's. Except just kidding. She owes me $100. <laughs> then again, I don't really know because uh, I I read the romanticized version. I don't mm. know what really went on. Well, yeah, no one does because the records from all that far back are really, really hard to find. Oh, yeah. So Cao Cao knew that something was up because uh, Wu hadn't surrendered like he wanted them to. And he ended up preparing a massive, massive fleet to float down the north side of the river towards the south side, where the Wu main camp was located. So he was pretty much, the dude from the north was floating down river to the people to the east, who were located to the southeast. Okay, on the map, on the map, uh, Cao Cao was to the north. Yeah. And... Wu was the west. No, Wu was the east? Was the east, and they're located in the southeast. Okay, so on they the just, on the river, they just neglect the southern part of it. They're yeah. not as close as I thought they were. Is what I'm getting at here. Yeah, they were pretty damn close. So Cao Cao knew something was up. Wu didn't surrender, so he was going to send his massive fleet down from the north side to the south side of the river. And as an extra precaution, he sent some men to be quote unquote deserters to spy on the Wu camp and eventually betray them during the battle. Same. Uh, but uh, Wu saw through this ruse and used these spies to deliver select information to uh, misdirect and mislead the North in their campaign. Mm. Uh, the East also took a general by the name of Huang Gai, who had been loyal to the Sun family for three generations, and had him publicly beaten so that he would later defect, and that ruse would be entirely believable. So, whoa, 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 hold the fuck. Hold the phone. Holding it. Um, so Wu. Yes. The East. Wu. Huang Gai is going to go, he's defecting to what side? The North. To Chao Chao. Chao Chao. Chao Chao. Chao Chao. Yeah. Oh. So he. Because the North sent people down to the East. Yeah. So the East was sending people to the North. So he was like, you know what? This is my time. Like, I'm going to just defect after being loyal for three generations. It was a ruse. It was a ploy. It was a trap. So he wasn't actually going to defect? No. Oh. Cool, man. Yeah. There was a lot of espionage and a lot of, like, double-crossing, backstabbing, like, stuff. But there was also a little bit of uh, mysticism in there as well. Because during the battle, Zhuge Liang's entire plan hinged on a strong wind to blow from the southeast to the northwest, where all of Cao Cao's ships were. 
he had prepared an altar for prayer and used some connection to the divine to get the winds to blow. After everything, the last preparation was made by a man from the West named Pang Tong. He was the secondary strategist to Zhuge Liang and belonged to the banner of Shu. He had secretly delivered some information to the northern camp that the best way to take out the enemy in one go and possibly just intimidating them out of battle entirely is to just chain all of their ships together and create like a massive floating armada. I feel like that's when when you have like one marshmallow in your cereal and there's like all of the regular pieces and they just come and like attack it and absorb it into their own regular pieces. One of us. One, one of, of us. us. <laughs> so thusly the battle commenced and both sides are just fighting for their lives. The 800,000 strong army from the north and the much smaller alliance of the east and the west to the south. They pushed back trying to prevent Cao Cao from taking control of the land, and the North was just trying to end the war. And while all this ha is happening, just Zhuge Liang is just off of the battlefield, just praying for wind. Yeah, that would be me. I'd be the person praying for wind. What was he? What was the wind going to do for him? The ships? So as soon as the wind started to blow, um, all hell broke loose. So the wind was blowing from the south, where they were, to the north, where... Uh, Cao Cao was. Mm -hmm. And Huang Gai timed his defection to this point. He hops in his ships with just a bunch of his loyal men and headed up the river. However, his ships held nothing important except for some of his most loyal men and some oil-soaked tinder. Hmm, this sounds like a recipe for disaster. He lit a fuse and... <laughs> It was man overboard from there. They all jump into the river. The flaming boats crash into the armada of ships. And the strong winds blow the, the oil-soaked tender further and further into the, uh, the, the armada. armada. This seems like the first kind of firebomb. Like, essentially, the ship was... Kind of, yeah. yeah, definitely. Wow. But this cool. wasn't the first time fire was used in this war. There's a lot of instances of fire. I mean, the East loved fire from this point onward. The Easter pyros. Oh, yeah. <laughs> their chains were shipped together. Uh, their ships were chained <laughs> together, so they couldn't, like, undo it and just flee and not spread the fire. So they were kind of screwed. So the entire fleet burned. Yes. So Wu, the, the East had won their part of the battle, and it was all up to the Western armies who were located in the woods to the north of the river to just ambush any escaping units from Wei, the northern peoples. So uh, the northern troops exhausted, just diseased from all of the walking they've had to do to get here, and just being beaten to shit and kind of burned, they were just pretty much practically annihilated. And their leader, Cao Cao, was captured. And the man who captured him was another, none other than Guan Yu, the god of war himself. This is, this is why it's not good to have a huge ego. You're like, can't be captured, can't be defeated. What's up? I'm Beowulf. And uh, then you get caught, you get captured, you get beaten. It can happen to anyone if we learn nothing from Beowulf. This is before Beowulf, though. 1815. So, yeah. This, this is was way before, before Beowulf. Beowulf. Beowulf, you should have learned from this. Suck it, Beowulf. Suck it. But also, it's actually pretty poetic that the god of war ended the war. Um, It would make sense that Guan Yu would execute the man, but he didn't. What? So, years back, Guan Yu was kind of 
saved by Cao Cao, and he owed him a favor. And uh, this is him returning the favor. Returning a favor is like... By letting him live and running away with his tail between his legs. Returning a favor is like, Jason, at one point, you you let me borrow your worth, and I'm probably not going to give back to you. In return, I will also give you a book of equal value that you don't have to return to me. Null and void. It's not like, Jason, at one point, you held my hand while I got a shot in my arm. Therefore, I'm going to save your freaking life after you murdered Eternal so many. servitude. Oh, my God. How many people does guy kill? A so lot. many. A lot. That's, that's, I call bullshit. It would make sense after all of this that either the East or the West, Wu or Shu, would win the war because of all of the strategy that they showed on the battlefield, but through some backstabbing, some trickery, and just some overall bullshit, um, the North ended up getting the East and West to pretty much eliminate each other before swooping in and defeating whatever armies they had left and winning the war. And as you know, the rest is history. Uh, thank you for listening. What? No, 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 no. no, no, no. <laughs> That's not how it's allowed to end. The, he literally told the general from the North, he's like, get the fuck off my land and he's like okay man it's cool because one time i held your hand while you got a shot in your arm you let me go and then somehow this motherfucker still wins so the dude from the north pretty much gave uh guan yu the god of war a house because uh like just let him stay at his place for a while like yeah dude you can stay over the house because i'm pretty sure your brothers are dead but they're not actually dead because they they just ran away but it's okay because you can hang out hang out with me for a while but uh stockholm syndrome type shit yeah and then it took uh, the North to side with the East for uh, Wu and Wei to work together because neither of them on their own could kill Guan Yu. So they worked together to ambush him, kill him and his adopted son oh, no. while trying to kill his other two sons and daughter. I. Yeah. I have no words anymore. This is really, you know what? It's really cool that you decided to do this episode. Jason, it was Jason's idea for this episode because uh, we got, as a history, I was an honors history major, we got legitimately no history on Asia at all. And it's so lacking in not just like American colleges, but also like the regular American uh, high school, elementary school, middle school. Like everyone should know a little bit of Asian history. Like this is a really cool thing to learn. I feel like this is something that kids would be like, whoa. So cool. Like, if we think that killing each other in a civil war over racism is cool, then we would think this is cool. And this is for uh, unifying China. For unifying China. This is, like, an actual possible, possibly, like, understandable reason for war. Yeah, not, like, because we wanted to keep slaves. Yeah. Yeah, I'm taking a shot at the civil war. Just wait until we do an episode on that. America. We'll kick all of your asses. Including our own. Including our own. (laughs) Well, thank you guys for joining us on this episode of Fast Past. If you want to hear more from me, I do have a YouTube page. You could just look under my name, Megan Tobias. And I do have a makeup Instagram, which is at Makeup by Meg T. If you want to, uh, what? Like, uh, subscribe, follow. No, no if they want to. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to request uh, topics for more episodes, please email us at fastpasspodcast at gmail.com. At Carm? 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 Carm. Oh, my God. Hermagird. Or you can DM us on Twitter. We're at FastPast1. Yeah, and if you want to hear more from me, you can check out the other podcast that I do. Um, it is called Inside the Gamer's Stronghold. It is with my friend Mark Zebro. You can find that on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Oh, it is on Google Play. It is. We could, 
We could put a podcast on Google Play. We could. I, I don't know how to, but we could find out. You might find us on Google Pod. What? Google, Google Play. Google Play. <laughs> Google Play soon. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>